everyone. Welcome back to Generational Differences. This is Hillary, and I've got Hana with me, as always. Uh, hey. This week, we are back recording on Discord virtually. We're no longer in person. Um, and if you didn't catch our episode last week, we did interview our parents. Uh, so it's really recommend checking that out. But today, we have another very, very special guest. I'm so excited to introduce one of my good friends, Oh my gosh, Michelle, we've known each other now for 10 years, maybe more. Maybe more, yeah. Yeah, maybe more. So we've known each other for a really long time. We met in college, um, and I'm not going to give away everything that we're going to talk about, <laughs> but uh, just really excited to have Vishal Jane here today with us. Um, and to, yeah, I mean, Vishal, you want to say hey real quick before I read your um, illustrious bio? Hello, hello. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. It's, yeah. This is, this is so cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah. All right, cool. So let's give Vishal a more formal introduction. And then I think the bio will also give our audience a sense of like what we're going to talk about today, um, as well as the title of this episode. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me. So Vishal Jain, pronouns he, him, is an independent consultant who advises on topics of masculinity, gender, equity, and inclusion. His journey to this work started at home. Growing up in an all-male household after he, his brother, and dad lost their mother at a young age. Bashal is a proud graduate of Emory University, just like me and Hannah, where, <laughs> where he studied business and got involved in creating healthy spaces as a resident advisor and working on sexual assault prevention and response on campus. In his first job out of college as a management consultant, Vishal saw firsthand the power dynamics in the American boardroom, which pushed him to shift his career to education. His next role was as an undergraduate career advisor, hoping to help empower young people to break the cycles of exclusion and disempowerment in corporate America. A lofty goal for sure. Vishal found a home in education and pursued his passion to obtaining a master's in education from Harvard University. At Harvard, Vishal explored the topic of gender through research and writing in policy, organizational leadership, community organizing, and curriculum development. He also worked to establish Harvard's first university-wide conference on gender and sexuality. Most recently, Vishal served as the full, first full-time employee and director of a nonprofit that focuses on mental well-being and the development of healthy masculinity in youth. Vishal hopes to continue his journey of working with gender issues by developing the concept of responsible masculinity and studying the sources of influence on the development of gender identity in boys. Whew, okay. <laughs> I wanted to cover a lot or like all of the bio that Vishal sent me because so much of it is so interesting. Mm -hmm. It really, I think, gives a great look into the journey that you've taken um, from growing up at home and your childhood experiences on a personal level to where you are now. Um, is there anything you want to add, I guess, before we jump in? No, thank you. I, I feel like I'm, I'm like sweating a little as you're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's weird to hear yourself read about. It is much longer <laughs> when you read it out loud, so thank you. Thank you for your uh, perseverance and your stamina. I appreciate you. 
Yeah. No, nothing, nothing, definitely nothing to add to that. <laughs> no, no additions. Um, well, actually, I guess I'll have a couple additions. So like I said, we met, uh, Vishal and I met in college about 10 years ago. We met at a leadership, uh, like retreat thing, right, called Leadership. Yeah. Um, and one of my first memories of Vishal, <laughs> just to add on to this bio and I'm make scared. it a little less professional, is Vishal teaching, I think, the full group of us, which was a bunch of kids, like dozens of us, um, a signature dance move that he really <laughs> mastered mm-hmm. in college. And I'll just leave it at that. I'm not going to give away much more because if you end up um, having the opportunity to meet Vishal, he'll definitely be able to teach you better than I can describe. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. All right. So at the end of that bio, um, I mentioned, or you mentioned, I guess, in this bio, the idea of what you call responsible masculinity. So I was wondering if you could just start us off by talking a little bit about that term um, and why, given all of your experiences, you want the conversation to start shifting away from labels of what we often hear as toxic masculinity to responsible masculinity. Yeah, thank you for for giving me the space to even like open up on that. I think that it's irresponsible to just dismiss toxic masculinity. I don't think that that is fair to say that it doesn't exist in any way. Um, I think that maybe the conversation of toxic masculinity to me just means we stop a little bit short. Like I, I think there are absolutely toxic parts about the way that men are socialized, the way that boys are socialized and the things that we could do or the ways that we could act. Um, but I think that if we stop there, we miss the opportunity to bring men in as part of the solution, maybe to, um, solving issues of gender equity. And so that's why I have been thinking a lot about this term of like responsible masculinity and hopefully maybe like calling men into a higher, a higher sense of duty to leave the world in a better place than when they found it. And so I think that if we can find a way for men to engage by creating a future better than, than their own, um, for the youth in their lives, for the people that they influence, um, and that's a way that we can contribute to the, to the problem that I think that men have created historically. Um, and so that's why I, yeah, that, that's why I want to try and shift the conversation a little bit more to, um, you know, what can we done? What's, what's our duty? What's our responsibility with, um, with this privilege that, that we have in society? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's great. And I think we're going to talk about both toxic masculinity and responsible masculinity and kind of how they can interplay a little bit. Um, but I was wondering if we could step back and if you could share some like specific issues or inequities or um, just problems within gender issues, gender inequality that are related to toxic masculinity, just like what's most important to you in that field? Yeah, I appreciate that. I I think that the things that I find that take up a lot of room in my, I, my head are the fact that I, I think that men are sometimes socialized to just take up a lot of space. Um, and when you take up that space, often it's at the expense of putting others maybe beneath you or behind you. Um, and so often in, in different parts of my life, I have seen men put themselves first before women. I've seen men maybe put their like show of strength before their own feelings or before being vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's just really limiting and I, I think it can be harmful. Um, and then I, on the flip side, and I, I think we'll get the chance to talk about this. I I've seen some really beautiful examples of what it means to be a man in society. Um, and I have seen the good that that can do. Um, and so I, I wonder maybe why we don't all get that chance to, to live our life as men that way. Um, and would love to find out how we can maybe pursue that more meaningfully. 
Mm. And is that um, like the former that you're describing, like where men are taking up a lot of space or putting or like unable to access vulnerability and things like that? Is that stuff that showed up in your has shown up in your personal life as well as in the corporate setting that we described a little earlier? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, uh, one example, um, I was a consultant at a school and I remember having dinner with a friend who was also a consultant and she was um, she was kind of uh, upset. She got put on a new project and she loves working with data. It's, it's, it's her sweet spot. And um, she was telling me how she got passed over verbally without even a conversation um, because she was the female on the team. They were like, we need, we need someone to do project management. We need someone to do data. And they gave uh, data to the boy. They gave uh, her project management and mm -hmm. it wasn't really a conversation. It was just, it was just passed up. Um, and that's a small example. You know, like we were right out of school. Um, but that, that trickles up, I guess, right? Like as, as mm -hmm. she moved forward, if, if that wasn't the skill set, I'll bet money when you get to the review, they'll say you didn't have enough data experience and then she doesn't mm -hmm. end up getting promoted mm -hmm. and then so on and so on. Um, we had, uh, we had sadly at my firm, one female partner, um, mm -hmm. and that was it. And she came and did a presentation and she talked about this and gave a visual on a PowerPoint as consultants are so good at doing. And it was, it was a pyramid. It was a pyramid of like male identifying on one side, female on the other as the start class, it was almost even. And then you go up and there was literally one yeah. female partner mm -hmm. and 26 male partners, which uh, that's, that's something, right? That's, that's not an accident. Yeah, absolutely. And I um, don't remember if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I spent a very brief time in corporate law um, in Atlanta and kind of experienced a lot of that stuff, even just for the 10, 11 months that I was there. Um, not only seeing very few female partners and just p females in leadership positions, um, but also like feeling a lot of those stereotypes be imposed on us as young associates. Like men are mm. often in that context asked to do like oral presentations or like oral arguments. And they're tapped for these things that require like the more public facing um, kind of skills. And women are often overlooked or asked to do like research projects or more clerical things. And like, oh, you can handle like the document review, right? Like you don't mind doing that. It's kind of like um, it's all built into like a very toxic corporate culture in general. Um, but I think like the gender dynamics really showed up for me in that space too. So definitely relate to that. Yeah, that, that's wild how similar it is, I think, across disciplines. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess since you're talking about a lot of these things and how they've shown up in your life, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about how you came to care about these issues. Um, you mentioned a little bit, we mentioned a little bit in your bio, um, growing up in an all-male household and learning to relate with your dad and your brother. Um, but just, yeah, if you could share a little more there and how more about how these show, showed up in your personal life, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a question I've thought a lot about. I think there's, there's also sometimes that, that thing that you have that like you need to have some like super like intense story to make you care about something so much. And mm. I've tried to like write about this and try to figure it out. But here's, here's the thread I have so far, I guess. Um, so I, I mentioned this, we, my, my family, you know, when I was born, um, was me, my dad, my younger brother and my mom. And when we were 11, we lost our mom to cancer, um, just leaving three dudes in the house. And, um, my dad is one of the best people I know. I, I know Hillary, you've had the chance to meet him. Um, he's just, he's just a good dude that I, I think really balanced a way of like holding space for us at home and also like taking care of everything. Um, I think it never felt like anything was lesser than or shifted in any way. He did such a phenomenal job. Um, but there were, there were little things even right from the get go. Like I remember, um, right after our mom passed, people would come to our house 
almost daily for like a couple of weeks and everyone would keep bringing food. And at one point my dad like walked out and he was like, you guys know, I know how to cook, right? Like I, I just need you to be here to help out my kids when I'm at work, maybe, uh, you know, or, or things like that. But people just kind of assumed that because my mom wasn't there, he couldn't cook. Um, mm -hmm. Or um, one of the most vivid examples. And I, I related, I think I heard, you know, when you guys talked about yourselves growing up, um, if, if you can relate to the idea of just like the dinner party. Right. And um, we would, we, you go in the house and, uh, you get to the front door and typically the men will go over to the table, grab a whiskey and talk. And the women will go to the kitchen um, and help, you know, start to cook or start to serve. And my dad, I noticed, would would do it a little bit differently. He would walk straight to the kitchen, bring my, bring my brother and I, no matter how much we said we wanted to go play with our friends. And he would be like, hey, like, make sure you guys help out with at least one thing before you go play with your friends. Um, and at that table where they were drinking whiskey, he often would go over to the ladies table and be like, Hey, do you guys want to come join? I think that we would love to hear from you. Um, and like sometimes even like physically be like, Hey, like let's walk over together. And I noticed one as I got older or when I left for college, I would, you know, find myself going to that kitchen first and, and offering to help just cause I, I thought that's what you're supposed to do. Um, and I also mm -hmm. noticed maybe the, the women in our community started to form their own individual relationships with my dad, which I think was really sweet. Um, it was not just defined by uh, maybe their relationship with their husband, who was my dad's friend. Um, mm -hmm. And even the kids, like the the females that I like grew up with, um, I, I found them often like speaking up more, getting more excited to talk to my dad about things. And, and you know, now that we're older and maybe understand what happened, they've, they've come up and been like, hey, like it made a really big difference. I think they felt seen. Um, mm -hmm. and I know it's a, it's a long-winded answer, but I think that that is maybe that positive example, um, that I saw growing up that I sometimes wonder like, why can't we have more of that? And I yeah. think at its core to answer your, your very first question, I think that is what motivated me. Um, and I think it's, it's the fact that it feels a little bit like an outlier of a experience of masculinity. Yeah. And I was going to say, I have heard that story before from you and about your dad and I've met your dad um, and he's so great. And I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on where he picked up like some of those really healthy, like that healthy mindset about masculinity, but also just like equality between the or among the genders. Yeah, I it, it's a great question. I've, I've tried to ask. I, I know you, Hillary, have talked about maybe the shift when when you shifted from what is seen as a more lucrative career to somebody that is more, more social service and trying to explain. I remember when, when my dad was trying to answer it, um, I kind of put the question back on him. I was like, Hey, how, like, why do you care about this? I, I mm -hmm. picked it up from you. And he just kind of paused. We were driving. He couldn't make eye contact because it's good to look at the road when you drive. But <laughs> he, um, he was like, because it sucks. Like, isn't that enough? Um, isn't that mm -hmm. enough that it sucks? And uh, I think that is the closest I've gotten to figuring out like <laughs> where it sort of stuck with him. Um, mm -hmm. But I think mm -hmm. when I, you know, like when I, when I see his friends, when I, when I meet his siblings, um, when we go to India, like it, it's very clear that it's this culture of care, but there's also something really clear that he, he branched out in some way. He was always a little bit of a rebel growing up. Mm. Um, he told us a story of like, and his siblings would play in a tree and his his parents would come and say dinner's ready and his siblings would go but he would just stay in the tree until he was ready to eat um, <laughs> maybe maybe this is like some form weird form of counterculture um but i think <laughs> i think that he just really he really cares for the people around him and is willing to do something if they're not being treated well which which is really admirable it's a very positive form of counterculture like it <laughs> usually doesn't come out that um I don't know, like in that kind of a kindness, uh, in kindness or like in such a nice way.
Agreed. <laughs> so then I guess as you were growing up with your dad as such a wonderful role model, how did your sense of your own masculinity then develop as you were getting older and like as you, I don't know, entered college? Because I feel like college is a very fraught place for masculinity. I think we're mm. all developing our identities um, in middle school and high school, but then you get to college and it's like, boom, like hormones, like frats, dorms, everyone like all smushed into one place, germs, like <laughs> yeah. um, you're figuring out so many things. And I, that's in part why I think, oh, and like independence, right? Like you're finally by yourself mm -hmm. and do whatever you want, be whoever you want, which is so great in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but also the reason I think that there's so much um, violence and assault and like bad relationships and, you know, horrible things and like mental health uh, crises and things like that on college campuses. Um, I think they kind of all are in the same jumble. And so just curious, like during that phase in your life, how did your sense of masculinity change, develop? And did you ever deal with any like inner conflict about how to not to be, how not to fall in line with like more toxic ideas? Yeah. Man, where do I even start? I think one, <laughs> I, I, yeah. one, well, I will answer it. And then I, I'm curious what you all saw because I think three of us yeah. have this really beautiful shared experience of the same mm -hmm. campus and culture, um, which is yeah. really cool. Um, I think in going to college, I knew that the way that my, my masculinity was uh, like presenting itself was a little bit different. Um, like I, I suck at sports to this day. It's just like not something I'm, <laughs> I'm good at or like even really care to talk about that much. Um, I was not Mr. Like push up King or I think I, I did my first pull up in college. So that was exciting. <laughs> um, and, uh, I, I think just like the things, the conversations that I had, et cetera, people were like, Vishal's the guy who just like wants to talk about his feelings or like, I noticed <laughs> that when I got to college, the majority of my friends were female. Um, whereas growing up, they were almost all male, but I also don't think that we necessarily were super encouraged to have like female friends or it just like, wasn't as cool. Maybe, you know, yeah. like, it was mm -hmm. easier to be like with the boys. Um, right. and so I saw that stuff come out and I saw that I was feeling a little bit different. I even, I, I joined a fraternity, um, yeah. and, and did that thing too. And I think what was really beautiful about Emory is that it accepted me for that. And I grew to be able to be like, okay, like this is something that is me. And how do I find my space within it to thrive? Because other people are willing to accept me for this, which I really appreciated. Um, and there were some hard moments. I think my fraternity and Hillary, you know the story, but my fraternity really got, you know, was, was happy to talk about when I was doing work with sexual assault, like uh, prevention or response. Um, but mm -hmm. then there came a moment where uh, there were a couple of folks that were rushing that um, had basically been convicted of um, these, um, these crimes that, that mm -hmm. word I will use and um, really pushed hard to let them in because they were still friends of some of the people. Um, mm -hmm. And when that happened, I, I walked out, I deactivated, um, oh. which is disappointing, I think, to have it end that way. Um, but I, mm -hmm. you know, like, I, I think that it definitely has this, it has this power, maybe like masculinity, especially unchecked in a place like college where you're just trying to figure yourself out and there's not too much accountability um, to become something really, really tough. But at right. the same time, I was really fortunate that Emory was a place that helped me um, as an individual in, in the ways that it did. And I, I'm curious for both of you, like, did you did you feel like the ways in which you saw yourselves as female identifying or when you saw other men, maybe like on campus, like what were those signals and, and, and how did that culture maybe shape your understanding of it? 
I'm curious if Hana has thoughts first, I guess. I'm still kind of processing. And Hana's been like more temporally closer to, to the experience. Yeah. Well, I think for the most part, like when I've heard about toxic masculinity, it's mostly just been in like my women gender studies or my sociology classes and not actually between like students. And I literally just left college like a week ago. So <laughs> I'm like fully been exposed to a lot of basically just being able to see firsthand what toxic masculinity looks like and being like very close with people in Greek life and stuff. I've seen that, but right. Like mm. within my own social circle, like everyone understands like how how they should behave and stuff. And I'm also friends with a lot of minorities and LGBTQ, and so they're like very. I, I feel like a lot of my guy friends probably have similar stories as you, Vishal, like in terms of their friend group and stuff like that. Yeah, okay. well, for me at Emory, I do feel like a lot of what Hannah said was is similar. Like it was, I had a really bad feeling about Greek life, <laughs> like so mm. not pleased with uh especially frats but i mean sororities too like there's really bad practices and like harmful things that are happening all over greek life um but frats in particular like it's crazy to me especially to think now when like if my girlfriends and i were going to a frat party any frat party i mean like some frats had worse uh reputations than others of course but like any frat party we were like okay we're gonna go together we're gonna make sure like we're buddy system we don't like reminding each other not to drink things that like if we leave a drink like not to come back and drink it in case someone tampered with it um like we would have signals for each other when back when we didn't have um all have cell phones mm -hmm. like we just had to make sure we stayed close like we would never go to the bathroom alone just like you know it's I feel like that's just an example of how women prepare for like all situations and like a frat party is just like a, a particularly terrifying one in a lot of ways for young women and so particularly risky um, but even just like walking at night like we're always preparing for things because of the dangers of being uh, like walking alone and so thinking about all of that I feel like it does a lot of it boils down to like being told by society like a truth about how we don't have as much power as men because men are willing to exert power over women in a lot of these kinds of settings and then the way that mm. plays out for us is like okay well how can we protect ourselves and how can we you know xyz um be there for each other and so mm. when i was at emory i did a lot of work also with like sexual assault prevention and response i was also doing residence life like Vishal. um and so and like other extracurriculars and so mostly i just avoided the <laughs> greek life like um would go to some parties freshman year and sophomore year but like really outgrew it quickly and just was not interested in like interacting with men or boys who acted that way who were just like not a positive like influence mm -hmm. in my life and so then i feel like like hana was saying like finding people who are not like that um, finding activities and like groups that you can really just be yourself in like that was the bulk of my experience at Emory and I like both of you I think I'm very very grateful um, that there was like most of college was that kind of an experience mm. Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that it, it, it like breaks my heart also to maybe hear about like having to like think about like signals to get away or like you know, like traveling in in groups and it is like very clearly like a, a safety tactic and i'm glad that you you are 
you are who you are today. Um, and I, I'm sorry that you had experienced that. And I, it makes me think about too, like, I think the missed opportunity, I think to come back to something I said at the start that like, I think frats have an opportunity. Like it's one of those things that like, whether it's official or not will likely happen. Like people will come together and form right. a social club. But I think something that I was really proud of when I joined, I, I was pretty anti-fraternity and someone was like, just rush, just see. I, I was literally like the the like YOLO method, like just see what it is. You know, <laughs> this chance again, and I was like, I, I am susceptible to FOMO, and so I went. Um, <laughs> but it was it was really cool. I think my first year to be the house amongst my friends where people felt safe, like people were telling them like, hey, you can come to this house, like it's okay. And you guys know, I think Emory is interesting in that because it's a little bit removed from like being able to like walk across the street and go out in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. yeah the social scene is kind of on campus, and so for people to have a safe space was really exciting. I, I was proud of that, that we could create that. And then I was really sad when that went away later as well, but it, it's a missed opportunity. Like we, we have the chance to maybe organize into something better um, as well. But I think without the intentionality, it, it lost that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Um, so then I guess to continue on your, your life journey <laughs> with masculinity, yeah. uh, let's continue past college. And so how has your uh, either your like sense of masculinity for yourself or just like your approach to all of these issues changed um, post-college because it's crazy because college doesn't feel like that long ago but it's been now like seven years and so and you have multiple jobs and like in drastically different fields <laughs> gone back to school um, so yeah curious now your thoughts yeah um, I appreciate that and as as my brother reminds me I'm I'm old now um, for you I'm still learn. older and I still will I know, be forever. We're, we're just forever jealous of Hannah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I think maybe the first thing that came to my head when you asked this question was, I think I've learned to be less apologetic, uh, about myself. I think that I often like a brand of uh, humor that I have is self-deprecating at times, which can be good. Sometimes it'd also be like, okay, like, you know, it's something I'm working on, but um, I would often apologize to people for saying like, oh, like, thanks for always like hearing my feelings. And I, I think I had a moment, it was like a year ago where someone was like, like, why do you keep apologizing for that? And I, I appreciate that someone asked me that. Um, and I think I, I sat back and I was like, oh, I think that's rooted in the, in my understanding that men shouldn't be talking about their feelings. And for me to do that, for someone else to hold it as a burden. Um, I, and, and that's a small example, but I, I think I've learned to stop apologizing for the things that make me me. And mm -hmm. I think it's exciting to say like, that is my, my brand of masculinity, but also just my brand of being myself. Mm -hmm. um, and rather than apologize for it, I think understand it and, and see where it can hopefully like, you know, like uh, add to a space. And then also if it is taking up too much space, um, trying to sit back and assess those things. But maybe that's the way I'll answer that question. I think as I've gotten to know myself better, I've learned to apologize less for who I am. That's great. And actually, um, I'm glad you brought up that other concept that like we've mentioned a little bit already, like men learning to be vulnerable or like accessing emotions, things like that. I'm curious um, where else maybe that's shown up in your life and why your thoughts on why men have trouble with that, <laughs> which I think is like a big question and like there are obviously big answers so you feel free to answer it however you want yeah well it, it, it's really interesting tie-in i think to um that the job i am now i'm I, i'm leaving actually this week but um it's a 
it's a nonprofit that we do work to try and answer this question. Like, why don't we talk about our feelings more? Or why don't we talk about our emotions? And we do it with youth, which I think is really interesting because I think mm -hmm. that kids are uh, pure and at times unfiltered, which is really beautiful because then you, you hear it straight up. Right. And, um, you know, like, well, sometimes we'll ask the question, like, why don't you talk about these things? And I, I've heard the answers and I resonate with these answers. Like, uh, it's not cool to, you'll be called, you know, a sissy, et cetera, uh, or, uh -huh. or, um, you don't want to burden someone with it. Or like some, one kid was like, okay, like, let's say I tell you my feelings, then what, like, what are you going to do with that? You know, mm. which, which is true. I, you know, and you sometimes just don't want to go through that. You don't want sympathy. Um, you don't want like, you know, like pity, et cetera, or you don't want to be seen mm -hmm. as lesser than. And so I think it's really hard to be like, to put yourself out there in that way. And then there's obviously, I think when you start to like talk about those feelings, the fact that I was apologizing, I think meant that we were getting social cues that it's not, it's not cool to do that. You're, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't be doing that or that space is for someone else, um, you know, to, to take into hold. And so I, I, I think that's a, a little bit of a roundabout answer, but I think there are a lot of reasons, whether it's embarrassment, insecurity, um, or just wanting things to be a little easier, um, mm -hmm. which is why maybe we don't talk about our feelings as much. Have you talked about these feelings <laughs> and thoughts with your um, your brother much? I'm just curious. Yeah, um, we we joke. My my dad and I are both like definitely like openly sentimental people. Um, mm -hmm. But I think my brother has the most feelings in the family um, by far, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and. You know, to his credit, like we, we used to fight a lot growing up. He's definitely a little more of the like, I, I guess what like popular culture will paint as a guy. He's much better at sports. Um, he he lives in New York and and does the cool kid corporate thing. Um, but I think what has been really cool is as we got older, he is the one that carried our relationship. Like he called me when I left for college. Um, he mm. called me when he left for college. He makes sure that we're talking. Um, he has been the one anytime I'm like scared to take a little bit of that leap of faith. I think he's always been the one to be like, Hey, like, this is great. Like you've, you've been training for this. And I think that <clears throat> we'll joke back and forth that like, he's got a lot of feelings. Um, but I think it's been really cool to see him navigate maybe his own sense of masculinity in a, a less intentional space. Like I have made the decision to make this you know, uh, what I spend a lot of my days thinking about, but uh, he hasn't necessarily, which I think most people have not. And um, just to see him navigate the spaces of like, of sports, of he works in finance, he does all those things, but then also yeah. come back and like show love to his family, show love to his partner, show love to his friends. Um, he, yeah, it, it, it's been really cool, I think, to see that. And, um, and he continues to show up for me in these spaces when I do talk about those feelings. Um, and I, I think I really admire him for that. Yeah, that also brings up another question for me. I'm just, I don't know, thinking about like maybe conversations that you've had with maybe not your brother specifically, but like guy friends, um, just men in your life. If there's a situation where like someone you're close to who's male, who identifies as male um, comes and does like tell you that they did something harmful, for example, like um, it could be really any context, I guess, but like, I don't know cheating on a partner, emotionally harmful comments, um, even just like toxic corporate things. Like if there's just like some admission that they make to you um, that really represents some of these issues that are so important to you um, in your personal life and in your work, what's your typical approach? Like how would you address that with them if, if you have a good relationship? Yeah, 
Mm. Asking the hard questions, Michelle. Asking. <laughs> okay, maybe I will. Maybe I will answer with how I would like to handle those situations. Okay. And maybe how that's changed. Um, and I would love to hear from you all if you have any advice or have handled mm -hmm. it differently in your own lives, because I, I think you both do this even by way of this podcast, which is great. Um, <laughs> I think that there is kind of this like duality of um, gently being like, hey, like I think that what you did there was was not right. And so I think we should talk about why that happened um, and how maybe that you made that other person feel or like like what happened in that situation and, and do we agree that this is something that we need to move forward and, and maybe rectify. Um, and that's one side. And I think on the other side, there is the hard balance of trying not to maybe just ostracize the person by being so harsh that they disengage. Um, because then I think you miss that opportunity for growth um, or you miss the opportunity to change it for next time. And like a, a clear example that comes to my head, a, a friend of a friend, basically, um, he would say a lot of things that I was just like, not a fan of that I felt were misogynistic and, and many things. And I would call him out and I'd be like, Hey man, like, I don't know why you felt the need to use those words, et cetera. And I think mm -hmm. I, I, I went a little too hard maybe in, in being a vocal critic. And I remember at one point, um, he said something to the effect of like, Oh, I'm so glad that like this person's coming too. I can like be myself more. Um, mm -hmm. and I was like, I was like, Oh, what does that mean? And he was just like, he tried to be nice about it. He was just like, no offense, man. He's like, I love you, but, um, he was like, you, you call me out a lot. And so I just kind of like restrict my jokes or like just talk less around you. And I think that that is something that I'm yeah. trying to avoid, um, because then you lose, you lose that chance to really like make something different. Um, I don't, I don't know if that directly answers your question, but that is something that I think a lot about when these situations present themselves. Yeah, I think I put you in a weird position because it's, I don't think there is a clear answer. <laughs> so I'm glad that you just, you know, I think that was uh, really great to hear, like how you think through it. And I've definitely been in that position before. I think like, especially at some points in college, I was like a bit more of a, like call them out at any expense, expense kind of person. And I definitely also recall people that were just like, the reaction is, okay, well, now I just can't say these things around Hillary. And I'm like, well, mm. and then when I realized that later, I'm like, that doesn't actually address the issue. It doesn't teach them anything mm. about why it's harmful. It's just like, now they just think I'm like this, like, PC police kind of person. And they're just going to, mm. like, try to be careful around me. But, yeah, like you said, it doesn't actually address anything. And so I don't have, like additional amazing stellar advice but i think like what you're th saying the two things uh making sure like they know that what they did was like a problem or problematic but then also not mm -hmm. making it like a condemnation like oh you know why don't you know better like you know scolding kind of thing it's more like maybe we can talk about maybe they don't know why it's harmful or maybe they don't I mean, I feel like sometimes they people say things and like they don't care that it's harmful. And so maybe talking through that, I don't know. It's it's really hard. And sometimes I think it takes a really long time, but at least continuing to maintain that relationship where they feel comfortable yeah. um, enough to like be who they are and show their, yeah. <laughs> show who they are, I guess. Which is really complicated um, so, in itself. I yeah. Think. yeah. It's funny that yeah. you say like, in college, you were that kind of person, Hillary, because I think like I'm just now sort of understanding that there are more approaches than just being like very straightforward and aggressive when I see things that are not okay. Like, like hearing you guys talk about ways to approach it so that there's still like, you know, an opening, like a chance for them to grow or to learn from you, I think is really 
really helpful and it makes me think about like what we can actually do and I think something that's worked sometimes for me is like if I hear something I'll just like not laugh at their joke or like look at them you know just like look at them without saying anything and like in some ways like they can still get the message without you know me being like dude that's like effed up (laughs) or like you know um so it's like small things like that too I think another thing that's been helpful is like if you're in a group situation and someone says that and no one calls them out um, like obviously not affirming them in that group situation but then like later if you have a good relationship you know have a conversation Mm. and like that will help I think mitigate like embarrassing them in front of people right yeah, like that's you don't true. need to call them out in front of everyone yeah that's true that's but you also I've don't also have to be like that. yeah dude fun yeah yeah i've also done yeah i just don't yeah don't play play it up you know <laughs> yeah. yeah i kind of had a another question or maybe we can talk a little bit about this like earlier vishal you mentioned that part of the whole toxic masculinity thing is you might not be able to feel like you can express yourself openly like it's a man um and like feel your emotions and so like that kind of stuff is so ingrained in being a man in our society that you might not even realize that you are exhibiting traits of toxic masculinity and Mm. like how do you how do you approach those types of situations because like some people might not even realize that it's you know happening yeah it's a beautiful question and maybe the way i will take it is I think I have been trying to ask myself, like, where are ways that my own masculinity or understanding myself is restrictive? Because um, I think that it is like maybe the greatest cliche to be able to try to try and do this work and then exhibit, you know, those traits or, or pretend like I, I have nothing to work on. Mm-hmm. Um, and an example that I'm thinking of as you ask it, something that I've been trying to like really work on myself is this need to maybe feel like I don't want to ask for help or have to do everything um and i i put it as a form of like oh i don't want to burden someone but i think i've been trying to ask myself instead like is it actually just because i feel like i need to have control or that i think i can do it better and um i think that's been a hard conversation with myself to have of like where that shows up and why that shows up Mm -hmm. um and it's something i I really want to work on but i think in answering that question to you hana which is like i said a really beautiful question i think where i came to that understanding is i saw this come up and caused maybe tension in my own life or in the people around me. Mm-hmm. And at some point when it kept happening, I asked myself, like, why? Like, why is this causing tension? Where could it be rooted in? And I think mm-hmm. if we could find spaces, whether it's about my own masculinity or whether it's about other parts of my identity, like, if something is causing tension, what could it be rooted in? And um, how could we address it rather than trying to tell ourselves it's not? You know, right. it, it's not problematic, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a, it's kind of a nebulous answer, but I, I hope it starts to answer that question. Yeah, I think it does. I think yeah. it speaks also to, like, the need for more spaces where people can, like, self-interrogate or, like, self-reflect on these things. Because not only is it because of, like, the fast-paced uh, the fast pace of our society and, like, the day-to-day and um, needing to pause to ask that mm-hmm. question, why... Um, but yeah, like it's also important to have people in, in a space to like help facilitate those questions. And so that's a great segue because <laughs> I wanted to um, ask Vishal if you could share a little bit about your thoughts on to- toxic masculinity and responsible masculinity specifically in South Asian communities. Um, you know, you can talk mm-hmm. about Indian communities specifically or South Asian broadly, but where has that shown up the most given that like racial ethnic intersection with gender? And 
would love to hear more about your immense support group that you uh, recently started. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you. I, I am excited to get the chance to shout out that group um, <laughs> in, uh, in Indian culture, uh, older, older men, typically that are fathers, et cetera. Um, everyone's just known as uncle. And so uh, we called our group um, uncle's club and it was, it was in, in pursuit of unclehood. Like how, how do we do it responsibly? And, um, I think so it, was, it was, a, it was such a fun premise. We would just yeah. be begin every email or anything with my fellow uncles and, um, it was, great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, it was a blast. Um, I think, I think, so maybe the way I'll start is sharing where I identify because I think that I, my experience obviously can't speak for all of South Asia. Um, it's a large place, but I identify as, Indian American. I grew up in a Hindu background, um, and my parents are a mix of uh, North Indian and West Indian. Um, I hope I got that right. I'm, I'm very bad with geography, but I say that to say I think there's there's a lot of permutations, uh, you know, of of South Asian culture, and so I just want to name like that's where my experiences lie. But when I was thinking about this question, I think there were three places that it showed up the most that I think about in my life. Um, one is in adults and how they treat their partners. Um, they're like very accepted roles in a family household of like, uh, men don't cook, they go out and work. Um, the, the female cooks, she will clean, she will take care of the kids. Often people don't, uh, like, like the women in the household won't um, work. Uh, they will just take on those home, you know, home things. And, and it, unfortunately, like I've seen it play out even to this day, like I, I've seen older older men be like hey i'm hungry like ask their wives like to bring them food etc mm -hmm. um and it's 2022 and i like in front of us and it's just so ingrained that i'm like why you know like, why why is that happening yeah. um so that's one example two is maybe how adults will treat their kids um and i think that this could be men or women or or someone else's kids but um an example is like a close friend of mine um the brother and the sister almost the same age, but growing up, the brother was kind of pushed to be like, go into corporate, go do tech, et cetera. The sister has a beautiful artistic mind, um, but was, uh, there were little things like she could never come to sleepovers with us or anything like that because she was the only girl to now where they're, um, they're kind of like, I guess, putting her in a box. Like if you are going to do art, like make sure you do it in this way that can like go get more money, et cetera, or just being like, okay, like, this is what the girl's going to do. Like, let's, like, let's find her, you know, let's find her husband and move on to the thing. And um, I, I say that is a tough one to say because I, I love their parents too. Um, but it's just, it's an example of it, how I've seen like people treat their male and female children differently um, and have different expectations. And I think the last thing, and I think this is really pertaining to when I said, like, I grew up in a Hindu space in Indian, but there is the kind of like, acceptance of inequity that is rooted in maybe the veil of culture and religion. Um, so if you go to like an Indian cultural ceremony, for instance, men and women are separated. Um, there are, if you go to a, a temple and women are on their period, they're not allowed. Um, and we just say that's because it's, it's unholy for whatever reason, but they just yeah. they can't participate. Or if you go to an Indian wedding, um, the ceremony is, the bride's side of the family giving their daughter away. Um, and mm -hmm. even even in that process, the man is the one doing the whole process while the 
the woman is supposed to just like sit to the side and it's just accepted in the name of religion. They're like, oh, this is how we are supposed to do this ceremony. This is what the tradition is. It, right. Indian culture is one of the oldest cultures. And so like, that's it. Right. And we just don't question it. Um, and I think that that is that line between like religion and culture is so blurred sometimes in India um, that we see this come up as, as something that we don't really uh, push ourselves to be critical about. And does do those like gender expectations and really outdated understandings of women as like kind of like as property or just like as someone to be controlled by a man? How do those show up in like the day to day then in your experience with like relationships or uh, just like how men treat women in how Indian men treat women usually in the in your experience? Yeah. I, well, part of it relates back to what I said, right? Like, I think that especially in our, like, parents' generation or older, there's that expectation of, like, hey, I'm hungry, like, go make me something yeah. or, or et cetera. Um, maybe the other side that I have seen is this rush to get daughters married. Um, and mm -hmm. so, like, often when we're at, like, a dinner party, again, if we go back to that example, like, like a girl turns 25 and everyone's like, why aren't you married? we got to find someone. And it's like, it's like sometimes put in jest, like, oh, we're just like teasing, et cetera. But mm -hmm. um, no one has ever asked me that or no one's ever pushed, you mm -hmm. know, me to do that. And I'm, I'm 29. Um, mm -hmm. But the second my friend turns 25, there's like, we got to find you someone. Oh, mm -hmm. Yeah, which, which I think it just is unfair. And, and it sends that message, whether explicit or implicit, that they cannot be, you know, happy or they are not worthy of attention until they have just like found someone else to to hitch themselves to which is like yeah. yeah that's not fair right like there's there's so much more that a woman is worth um than their ability to to find a man like that's yeah we, we've mm -hmm. got to move past that right i mean and it's also like super heteronormative right yeah. like you yes. gotta tie yourself to a man if you're a woman and that's that's what makes you worth something and that's um awful yeah. And then I guess also not, I'm not Indian, <laughs> everyone should know that, um, but <laughs> I just kind of speaking like in general about like how uh, some of these play, these kinds of like gender norms and stereotypes play out. I think like broadly speaking in the United States at least, and probably in other countries, but in the United States, in my experience, like for such a long time, women were also viewed as like a man's property or like a man's. Um, just like, you know, under the control of the man, uh, their husband. And mm -hmm. so that also has led to so much violence, like domestic violence, sexual violence. I feel like that's also related because it's like that teaches men in a different ways, maybe subconsciously that they can treat a woman, however, because they like control the household or they control the income or they, you know, all these things. And it just plays into all of those questions of privilege and power. Yeah, mm, that's true. Yeah, I, 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 oh, sorry, Hannah. No, I no, go ahead. Um, I, I was just saying, like, quickly, I appreciate that you talked about it in that way, because I think that we have the other extreme that we could think about that, like, yet again, in the last week was another mass shooting, or mm -hmm. yet again, there's, you know, there's, there's war um, uh, across the pond in Europe. And all of these things we could argue stem from a really like restrictive form of the way that men carry themselves. But I think when we have these conversations, I really appreciate the questions that y'all are asking because I think it could almost alienate us from those topics because you think that those are so extreme, maybe of examples that you, we could never play into that. Um, but I think it's important to talk about like how it shows up at home or how it shows up at dinner um, right. as well, because I, otherwise we're not gonna relate to it and we're not gonna address it. Right.
yeah i think what you said is true hillary and like the like how they see themselves at power position a position of power and things like that but also just like you know society has standards for men that can't be met or are suppressing like their feelings stuff like we talked about Mm -hmm. like that also ends up you know exacerbating how they see situations maybe they'll lash out more Mm -hmm. or um try to reestablish whatever they're trying to prove you know because of society so it's very like intertwined yeah that's a good point because i've known so many men i've known so many men in my life and also like at a distance that because they're not able to be to access their emotions and be vulnerable and open up to people they it it kind of manifests in anger and violence and hyper masculinity yeah and then that leads to like mental health uh, issues Mm. and but then it kind of cycles back because then they're like, well, now I'm dealing with all these issues and I'm really angry. And how am I going to express this? Cause I don't have a space and I don't have like the skills to do it and I don't know how to do it. Um, and so then it just, yeah, like you're saying a self perpetuating kind of cycle. Yeah. Can I, can I ask the two of you, do you like when you look at yourselves growing up, cause you, you had the interesting maybe childhood of two girls as the, <laughs> as the only kids in the household. Like when you look back, do you think that you got, be gendered signals from your parents or at school um whether mm. that was you know like k through 12 or in college I, I like i we almost had and i don't hillary we joked about this of like getting my brother on and talking about what i meant to grow up as like two guys in yeah. asian household versus two girls but i'm curious what what signals or reflections you have um on your own childhood yeah and i would still love to do that um <laughs> get your brother on but i mean for me personally i think we're lucky in our household, especially that because it was, I mean, maybe because it was two girls um, or maybe this is just how our parents are. I don't know, but um, I never felt like treated badly or differently because I was a girl. I actually feel like it goes the opposite because it was just the two of us. We had to learn to do everything. <laughs> like We were, you know, it was never mm-hmm. like, oh, because you're a girl, you can stay here and learn to cook and you're not going to help us you know, cut firewood or whatever it is, right? We did spend a lot of time on a farm. So like farm things. Farm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I actually grew up like not really knowing how to cook. And our dad was is also like the chef of our house. And so I feel like I never grew up being like, or buying into those expectations that the woman has to do a particular thing. I grew up very like independent and learning mm. a lot of different skills. Um, there were different, there were other kinds of like pressures and boxes yeah. that we were put into, but I think on the gender side, I feel lucky. And I feel like it was the outside forces, like friends who like expected me to dress a certain way or like wear a certain kind of costume at Halloween, for example, like a lot of girls wanted to be princesses and brides and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so breaking out of that, I was more, I felt more influenced by like those, like usually white girls that I wanted to emulate but i feel like in the household it was less of a thing Mm. but hana what do you think i think that's that's mostly my experience as well although i do think that our mom has always told us like because we're females we need to fit certain like characteristics feminine characteristics like i've always felt pressure to like um like physical ones physically and like okay behavior behavior and manners and stuff like that which like a lot of it is archaic or like outdated, you know, and stuff. So Vishal, just so you know, like concretely, it's like you gotta, mm. you know, be a certain weight, you should wear a certain like make sure your face looks a certain way, like 
if you like makeup, you know, like wearing different kinds of makeup, but not being too crazy with your makeup, making sure your clothes are like very But it's always nice for someone else. That's the problem. Conservative. Like it's always for someone, yeah. like a partner or whatever. Right, right. And then also not being too loud, not laughing too loud, not like just not being unfeminine, which I <laughs> I feel like maybe I blocked some of that out because I'm just I just can't be like that. And so I was just like, <laughs> whatever, F that. And I didn't grow up like, tr- I didn't grow up feeling a lot of pressure for like some of those outward things besides like the body image piece. Thank you both for sharing that. And I, I wonder too how much of that could be rooted in. Oh man, sorry. There's someone on <laughs> the, like, the street next to me and they're just like really like going up and down the street. And it's, <laughs> yeah, there he goes again. Wow. <laughs> Okay. Let me. Okay, I think they're gone. <laughs> I hope. I hope they're gone. Um, I wonder how much of that is rooted into like the the very real like fact. I think that women have to, at least in in American society, have to like I think stack up more credentials or prove themselves more yeah. in spaces, right? Where like it sounds like your mom was it, it probably in her head was was trying to be like hey like how do i make sure that hillary and hannah are seen right and like mm, seen and not discounted because like maybe their their hair was off or you know their clothing was this way yeah um, because there's so much i think there to be valued but we let ourselves get distracted and more critical um yeah. of women and which which sucks like i um I, my partner rachel right now is um is going through a job search and there have been times where I think she has felt a little bit like, hey, like, am I like good enough for this? And I've been like, just apply, just apply. And I, I think I, I sat back and tried to ask myself, like, why do I feel like that's – I'm okay with that? Like, why do I feel like I could just throw an app out there and mm. it, it'd be fine? And I think that's probably because I have not been scrutinized in the same way or have not been told that I need to stack up more credentials um, in some way. Which I, I think is a little bit of a ramp, and I apologize, but I think no. I think there is something there that I hear, right? Yeah. Like this piece that you have to keep proving yourself. I think more than uh, the men in your lives, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. No need to apologize for sharing your thoughts or rants ever on this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely, I think that's a really good way to think about it. Actually, I think it's such it's just such a nuanced conversation. Like everything that we're talking about connects to like a 100 other things that I think of, and we'll never cover all of them. Um, But I just want to say, like, I appreciate that Mm -hmm. assessment of our mother's approach, because I feel like we've talked about this on the podcast before, like, it's very easy for us to just be reactive or angry with her and like, rebel against it and not want to conform. But yeah, under that there are real concerns and expectations of society. Mm. Um, And so that always helps us to think through with her. Uh, Well, we didn't get to talk about your support group yet. So if you want to go back to um, share a little bit about the South, like a little bit more about the, you said they were the uncles Uncles. group. I don't know if you said that was like the official name. Yeah. Yeah, The uncles (laughs) club. Um, And just like why you decided to start it, what you've gotten out of it and how it's been going. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I think the why was really simple. I think I I wanted to feel like there was some autonomy we had in the conversation. I think like I've been trying to find this work professionally, um, but there's also this piece of like, okay, like what could we do now? This is something that um, was introduced to a friend who uh, we actually didn't know each other before this group, but we co-facilitated and he's great. Um, it was just something, a space that we always wish we had, um, but never really found intentionally. So we're like, let's give it a shot and called friends together. Um, and I think what was really beautiful in it and what I see often in men's work is 
like a lot of research, a lot of the conversation is like trying to prove that men can talk about their feelings, that that's plausible. And I think like we almost need to move to just say that's a baseline. Like, yes, men have feelings. Like that's, it, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a fact of life. It's possible. But I think what was really cool was the intentionality when, it, you know, everyone came and they were like, yeah, like we had this chance intersectionally too, to be like, what did, you know, like what did the uncles above us tell us that what it means to be a man or like, what do the pressures of like, of marriage or we talked uh, a lot about, I think is like Indian men, um, this, this pressure to feel like you have to be the provider in whatever way, whether that is financially, whether that is, you know, like strength wise, et cetera. Um, I think there were so many of those pieces. I, and I think as you're getting to this too, like that we, we couldn't ignore the fact that it also was rooted in our South Asian experience. Um, and it was just, it was really cool. And I think we, we piloted it. We did it for just six weeks. We just wanted to try. We met once a week and, the only feedback we got at the end was, I wish it was longer, um, mm -hmm. which is beautiful. And so we're, we're floating around, like doing a retreat this summer. It was, it was all virtual, um, but just getting together and going up to the woods and continuing the conversations. And I think that it was so powerful because it was a way for each of us to just like unpack what happened, what's happening in our lives and also hold each other accountable um, in an intentional way. And, and like, we almost, we didn't have to go through the fact of like, Hey man, like, you're allowed to have feelings. Like, I think that that was the baseline. It was more like what's happened in your life that we talk about. Like one of the guys, I didn't know him before, but he, um, he just had a, a girl, a, a baby girl. And she actually was, Aww. um, super premature. And so she was in the NICU for, uh, about half of our time together. Um, and he talked about that. He was just like, this is, this is so difficult because he's like, I'm a father, but I haven't really spent much time with my daughter. And now he's just like, there's a lot of weight. Like, what am I going to carry over to her? How am I going to parent? And it was really beautiful to like have that conversation um, together where I think we just didn't, we don't intentionally find these spaces at that dinner party or at the bar, um, et cetera. And so it was, it was just such an empowering experience, I think. And how do you go about making sure that spaces like this, where that, that are all men, um, don't veer toxic, I suppose, you know, I feel like maybe you and I have, we, you and I have talked in the past about like certain spaces where like it could become, it could just go badly. And like they, it could become like a men's rights kind of conversation mm. and like empowering men, like to a bad, like a uh, harmful degree. And so just, it doesn't sound like that's this kind of space. I'm not. Uh, and so I'm just curious, like how you approached creating a kind of space that allows for like a more positive, healthy, um, kind conversation with all men. Yeah. No, I, I'm glad you asked because I think that it is, there is a risk. There is a risk in gathering people like this, uh, together where if without a system of accountability or a check, it could go the other way and just operate in a silo. And that's absolutely not what you want to do. Um, so I, I think I will credit my current job for teaching me more about the like professional aspect of this, but I think in most men's work, the the first meeting that you always do is establishing a set of uh, maybe like guidelines and accountability. So um, things like confidentiality, things like, you know, at the start of any maybe like DEI presentation you've been to, um, they'll, they'll talk about these community guidelines, but um, also maybe a shared system of accountability and saying like, hey, like we don't talk about people in this way. If you do, you know, like, here's how I'm going to hold you accountable. Um, and sort of declaring a sense of accountability at the, at the start of each meeting, at the start of each space to just level set, like, here's how we're to carry ourselves in society. And then also creating space for people to, 
uh, speak out if something goes wrong. Because I think, I think often like people know when things are are not feeling right or are feeling toxic. Um, but if you mm-hmm. read a space in which it's hard to speak up, I think that's when it gets dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really important to have that space for someone to speak up and to, to have it heard and talked about um, in a way that is respectful. Because when you lose that, I think then it sort of goes off the rails. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So I have a bunch of questions. And Vishal, I guess it just seems like we're going to have to have you on for another episode in the future because I'm <laughs> going to run yeah. out of time to ask all the questions. Yeah. Um, but I am curious, like you've talked a, a little bit about your work generally um, on college campuses with South Asian communities, but you mentioned earlier your most recent work with youth and younger boys or men. And so just curious, like what you've learned from that experience and what your thoughts are on working um, towards responsible masculinity with people from a younger age and like, it, yeah, in that context. Yeah, um, I think I will credit maybe just like the field of education to this. I sort of got in, you know, in an accidental way when I was a career advisor. But when I went to school, I think it was really beautiful to go to school with a bunch of educators where the sort of baseline is like kids are innocent, um, right? Like kids are kids are good. They're just looking for how to move around in the world. Mm-hmm. And we are responsible for teaching them how to do that um, in a way that, you know, can help them thrive and, and be good to one another and create a better future. And I think that those are questions that I asked myself a lot. And so much of my work was with adults that when I was leaving grad school, I was like, okay, I would really love to see how it works with kids. Mm-hmm. And I think in this past year, you know, I've spent time in elementary, middle school, high schools, etc. cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that harmful or restrictive masculinity could start at an incredibly young age, like one, two years old, like kids could be you know, like you could see dynamics playing out. Um, and so I, I think that it's really good to have these conversations with kids. Um, and we should absolutely be having those conversations. I think something that I'm walking out of this experience in this job with is that we cannot put the burden on kids to mm-hmm. do it alone. And I think that's where I fall back on this idea of responsible masculinity. Like we, mm-hmm. we are responsible for how we teach kids to grow up and to navigate the world to be a better place. Um, and, and, I think that if we just abdicate ourselves of the responsibility in the ways that we carry ourselves and just say, we got to fix the youth. Um, I think we've missed something. Um, and I think we miss the fact that we are the ones sending those messages and those signals. Um, but I think it starts young and I think we should absolutely be talking to them about it. But I also think that we should be talking to them about the better future that they could live in um, and modeling those examples uh, for them. I think that's something that we just need to be really, really intentional about. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think it leads into another question that I had, which was, let's talk a little bit about that better future and that vision. Um, And just so wanted to hear any thoughts you have on this huge question of what bigger picture solutions or um, just approaches you envision for a future where harmful masculinity does not exist. If we could just envision that together. Um, how would that play out for you and how would you come like find a meaningful way to get there? Yeah. I know. Answer question. that question. <laughs> it's it's the question. Will, yes, man. Um, <laughs> if I can answer it now, we're done. You know, like, yeah, we're good. <laughs> that's it. Um, I think I, I've been thinking a lot about two things. One is I think a theme that hopefully I have maybe like over hit the nail on the head in this conversation, <laughs> which is intentionality. Like I think that, this is something that has like literally been around since the dawn of time, right? Like mm. I, I, 
I'm not super familiar with with biblical, you know, stories, but I know that there is a story of Adam and Eve um, with with creation, and like that in itself was gender playing out, and and you know, here we are, um, centuries uh, centuries later, and I think that to ignore it and just say like it'll work out, you know, if if we just try and be good people, I think again is a missed opportunity, and so I think we should try and be intentional in the ways that we parent in the ways that we teach, in the ways that we manage, like you go into a corporate setting as well, like being a manager has its own influences in the ways that we mentor. Um, and so long as we are intentional about that, I think that it creates spaces for those conversations. I think Hillary, that you were saying that if we can have them, I think we can like really unpack it and say, how do we do this in a healthy way? Um, right. So I think that's one, just thinking about intentionally, what does that better future hold and how are we modeling it? And then the other one, which I think is much harder. And if y'all have any suggestions, let me know as well. But trying to get men, maybe the words I will use uh, are like negotiating power with themselves. I think that something that happens, uh, or, or maybe a phenomenon that we'll see is for men to be able to contribute meaningfully to a way to equity often means losing power in a situation, whether that is like giving up a promotion, whether that is, you know, like, like seating uh, a, a preference for like how the household is run or what we do um, when we go out or, or etc. And I think that that is really uncomfortable. And so it is easier to just accept the status quo when it benefits you. Um, and I think that that ignores the power dynamic that being a man holds in society. And so like, I, I think we have to find a way to have that really honest conversation with ourselves and then also have the conversation to say, what's it gonna look like when I don't have the leg up or when I am not preferred in this situation mm -hmm. and how can I be okay with that? Because yeah. right now that's the way it is and, yeah. and we are so comfortable with it, it has served us. And I think it is a really hard concept to let go of. Um, yeah. And I think, I think I will probably spend years of my life thinking about that question, but I think both intentionality and power negotiation are probably the places I'll start with with answering your question, Hillary. Oh, I mean, that was. I think that's really interesting. The power negotiation piece, especially. I don't have any answers or <laughs> helpful advice, but I look forward to your years of <laughs> analyzing <laughs> it um, and working on it because it's just clear to me. It's been clear to me for so many years of knowing you that like you are very intentional about this and you care a lot about it and you are really open to like getting pushed pushback and challenge being challenged on these issues. Um, and so I don't know, I think it's really great that you identified that as something to be thinking about. I think so since toxic masculinity or harmful masculinity very often does show up as harm towards women. Um, I think mm. that's a lot of the time why we see a lot of women leading a lot of these efforts to um, fight for gender equity and things like that. Um, and maybe partially because of what you identified earlier, like men do feel like left out of the movement and they're not called in in meaningful ways. But I'm just curious, like given the current context of all of that, how you personally navigate these kinds of spaces and these issues and being like a leader in creating change um, as someone who identifies as male because of the impact that the issues often have on women. Yeah, I think I appreciate you asking that. I think that it has to be we have to be really conscious. I think maybe I will lean back on the, the point about power negotiation. Like I, I think that if we go forward in a space and we find that something you know, worked well for us, benefited us, et cetera, I think it involves being really conscious and saying, was someone 
was that at someone's expense maybe or was it done uh maybe inequally at the at the least um mm. if not inequitably but inequally um and like maybe the, that example i shared about my partner like job searching like why was it easier for me to just say throw out the app and and why was that more difficult for her yeah. um and i think that we when we move forward in these spaces whether it's something like that whether it's like who gets to pick where we go out to eat um, on a date, you know, or, or, or anything like that, just being really conscious of saying, like, how did this situation benefit me? Um, and why did it, why did it benefit me? Um, yeah. And what are the, what are the potential impacts or implications of harm or inequity or unfairness towards populations that are not privileged? Um, and in this case, it is me identifying as a male. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I do want to wrap us up for this part of the podcast, but is there anything else you want to share or add on that you didn't get a chance to describe earlier? I don't think so. I, I, I think you asked some really beautiful questions. I <laughs> have just been really excited to have the space, something I've been thinking about even in this conversation. And um, I don't know if you have thoughts on it is like maybe the one way exchange sometimes even conversations like this. Like I, I appreciate so much that you, you've been asking me questions and I almost feel like a little uncomfortable to just be like asked a question and answered, which is why I found myself maybe trying to bring you guys a little in a little bit more and, and where that comes from. Um, and so anyway, it's, it's something that I'm sitting with and, and reflecting on, but um, I am so thankful for I think this platform and this opportunity to just like talk with both you about this um, and to put my thoughts out there. Cause I, I think we have to just keep talking about it for us to find, find better answers. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We're so grateful to have you on to mm -hmm. be able to talk about these things. I think, honestly, it's not that common for me, at least to find men who can engage on this issue in such a meaningful way. Um, yeah. But also who, the experiences, right? Like you've been building all these experiences and skills and um, constantly thinking so deeply about these issues. And I feel like that's pretty rare unfortunately, but I know that with your continued work, like you'll bring more men into that space to be able to think more critically about their own actions and privilege. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, so now we're going to transition. Um, Vishal, <laughs> casual. I have <laughs> together. <laughs> Vishal, I'm going to casually transition us to um, the last part of our episode, which I put together a um, like a weird mishmash lightning round game thing. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so what we're going to do, I guess you're going to, it's going to challenge you a little to just answer these questions and not ask them back to us. Cause <laughs> I'm going to go down the list and I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. Um, and you, the point is just to like answer them off the top of your head, right? Like not, no deep analysis, nothing like that. Just a lightning round, but there's oh, different categories. So we're going to go through four different categories, um, starting from like probably least uh, serious to most serious. Okay. Okay. I, I, I'm going to warn you in advance. Yes. I, as maybe we learned over text, I'm very bad at history. Um, I didn't even understand that the 15th <laughs> century was the 1500s. So I'm just going to warn you. Oh, there's no, there's no trivia. This isn't trivia. Yeah. It's not oh, trivia. God. I was like, I was like, I'm scared. No, <laughs> okay, no. These are like personal, like your opinions, opinions. Their oh, opinions. okay. Okay. Great. Okay. But I think for some of them, there are, is a correct answer. So we'll just... <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> no right. pressure. Yeah, no pressure. All right. One. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No. Okay. Is cereal a soup? Oh, yes. I think so. Oh, ew. 
I want it to be. Anna, if you have strong opinions either way, please vocalize. I just think it's funny that you don't think hot dogs are sandwiches, but you think cereal is a soup. <laughs> yeah. These are sadly questions I've thought a lot about. So you're really playing oh, okay. my, my food is my only hobby. So I'm, I'm glad that this is where we're starting. This is where we're starting, yes. Um, last, like, controversial opinion category. Does pineapple belong on pizza? Some pizzas. Not all. Oh, that's a good <laughs> answer. Not every that's pizza. That's a good answer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not every single Not every pizza. Pizza. <laughs> All right. <laughs> all right. Our next category is this or that. Red wine or white wine? White wine. Mm, no matter the season? No matter the season. A, a, a chill white wine is just, mm. it hits home. Love that. Um, physical books or like a Kindle or audiobook or electronic version? Kindle because I suck at returning my book to the library. Um, Rachel just returned <laughs> one that was seven months late. So thank you, Rachel. Okay. And, and thank you, Kindle. <laughs> Did you have to pay fines? <laughs> no, the, the public libraries are so nice. They're, They're like, so nice. no fines. Just, oh, just true. A lot of them are. One. Yeah. Just, oh, just you're the person when I go on in the library and it says like, there's one copy and it's lost. That's that's you. <laughs> it's me. It's my fault. That's it's still an Emory. I, I still have an Emory book that I never returned. So maybe oh. I'm really sorry if you were looking. I was probably looking for that exact book. Yeah. Probably was. <laughs> okay, last this or that. Emory or Harvard? Oh, Emory, hands down. Woo! Oh, nice. Okay, that was that's the right answer. That's the one Hillary cared about. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next category. Would you rather? Would oh, you rather be the only person who speaks out of their butt, or be the only person who doesn't speak out of their butt? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe the former. It's it's kind of fun to be a little, you know, be a little unique, weird. Unique with it. I, I also would feel like a weird bit of left out to be like man i really wish i, w- I spoke out of my butt you know <laughs> that's just like a weird thing to talk to people about oh the fomo is coming back the okay <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i love that michelle reacts to my questions like they're actually deep profound questions yeah. they are profound. <laughs> okay would you rather get rich in a way that disappoints your family or just make enough money to survive oh i i, I think definitely just make enough money to survive i think the former like social disappointment is maybe one of my greatest fears mm-hmm. yeah okay we're getting to the more serious questions obviously so the next one would you rather lose the ability to cry or cry every day for 20 minutes randomly <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I kind of i i think the latter and i will say because i think the former like have you all ever felt like you really wanted to cry you need to cry but you just couldn't yeah. like it sucks like there's yeah. just like stress in your face and I, and <laughs> yeah I don't want that. yes True. although i'm pretty good at crying so it doesn't happen to me that often that i can't cry but yeah i know that feeling mm-hmm. i'm like all yeah. stuck it's like yeah. stuck in my face <laughs> it sucks all right last section is questions about masculinity <laughs> Okay. And gender issues, but lightning way round. To, way to ease into it. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm so good at transitions. Um, who is a TV show character, or I guess we can branch it out, who is a movie character, fictional character of some sort, who you think represents responsible masculinity? You can take a second. Oh. That is such a great question. 
Um, okay, I think one that I've recently been thinking about is I have been rewatching New Girl a lot. I don't know if y'all watch okay. this. Yes, I love, yes. I love New Girl, and we, Rachel and I, try and argue about who is you know like who is what character and. <laughs> I think I think that he has flaws, but something that I really love about Schmidt in mm. the show is how much he's just like very much himself and yeah. unapologetic, and he just he does the things, you know. Whether he's just like running around to his job and working out to being like I love cooking and cleaning and crying and I I want love, and I think that yeah. that is really cool to just be like I'm me, um, and I I really appreciate that about his character. And he's a little weird, which I I resonate with in many ways. So are you Schmidt then? Um, I've been told it's like a mix of Schmidt and then Winston only in that <laughs> I usually am the butt of jokes or like to dress in shirts with bird print. I so... was actually that's that fashion choice is very on point for Winston. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's so funny because Winston's like he's so funny. They're all that's so funny. funny. Yeah. Love. Yeah. Okay. Next question. What's a gender norm that you have broken um, or sought to break? Ooh. Um, I think recently the, the thought of accessorizing and in the way that I will say is of like nail polish. Mm. Um, so I, I let a friend at a wedding um, like paint my toes <laughs> red. Um, I, I did accent toe only, only the big toe. <laughs> um, and uh, they're actually still on right now. And I think it's been six weeks since the wedding, but I've definitely been in spaces where I've uh, been barefoot, and at first I, I was almost like, oh, am I just going to get a lot of, like, weird comments or whatever? Or I think there's the association that if you paint your nails in any way, you are not straight. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think happily, people have just been like, oh, that's fun. Like, uh, like we should do it in different colors or whatever. Or it's just normal, and people mm-hmm. don't even, like, ask questions about it, which is really cool. Because I, yeah. I think it'd be so much, like, so much fun to, to paint my nails different colors. It's something I've always been jealous of. Um, and so I hope we can do more of that. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. Let's, I'll take you to your first manicure or pedicure or both. Please. I, it's also yes. just fun. Like it they pamper fun. you. They take yeah. really good care of your yeah. hands. Yeah. I also just love the names of nail polish. I don't know if that's weird, but like, <laughs> I come up with the, the weirdest names. Like yeah, it's never just so red. Funny. It's like, it's like crushed berry on the sidewalk. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. Or like sunset at. 12 p or 12 p.m sunset sunset at 6 p.m on a yeah. tuesday and it's like a orangey <laughs> it's just orange <laughs> yeah it's just orange i'm like that's orange okay last one what advice do you have for your past self as you were going through your own journey to learning more about gender issues and your identity as a man since we did go over pretty much every <laughs> piece of it what advice would you have looking back to myself, looking back, I would just say, like, stop trying to fight yourself. I think whether that was apologizing for who I am or trying to feel like I had to have some kind of a bomb story to, like, care about this or, or have it be something that I am excited to just think about and try and put myself out there. I think I gave myself a lot of friction. And looking back, just, mm-hmm. I think, coming to peace with being like, hey, like, this is something that is important to you. This is the ways that you carry yourself. And just, like, chill out a little bit, Michelle, and <laughs> stop fighting yourself on it. I love that. That's the game. Did you enjoy the game? <laughs> I did. And I enjoyed that there is no history. And I'm a little scared <laughs> that somewhere along, my brother asked that hot dog question. Like, he just like, he thinks it's like a party starter, which is a weird thing to do. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I'm scared that if and when he listens to this, I'm going to get called out on it. But I'm excited for vigorous debate. So thank you. You said no. He thinks it is a sandwich. I think he just likes to cause trouble because his answer <laughs> <Okay>. changes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually know whether what his answer. It's just is. like depends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Um, do you want to plug your socials, Michelle? <laughs> want to share where people can find you on on the interwebs? I don't know if I. If I have enough socials um, to share, like like you cool cats with generational differences, but um, <laughs> I would love to say that if if anyone out there is interested in talking about this and giving me feedback or um, just trying to figure out how we can how we can do this better, I would love to talk. And you can find me on Instagram, Vishal underscore Jan, LinkedIn, whatever. I'll, I'll share my email, my phone number. Um, I just think it's it's so cool to have these conversations, and I hope that we can keep having them. Wait, if someone wanted to, like, for example, if you were to restart your South Asian men's support group, how would they, would they just DM you or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Reach out, reach out in any of those ways, like, yeah. like Instagram, LinkedIn, email, phone, any of it is great. Um, I would, I would love to have uh, more people. We are definitely doing a round two. Um, awesome. So, yeah. Cool. Cool. Yay. Okay. You're like so famous plugging your socials. I love asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Vishal. Thanks, Hana, for everyone being here to have this great conversation. Um, like we said, we would love to have you back um, to talk more yes. about these issues. I know there's a hundred million questions we could ask. Um, so we just started that today. And then we'd also love to have your, you and your brother on to talk about some generational stuff. So we're so uh, grateful and look forward to continuing the conversation with you in the future. Yep. Thank right. You. Thanks, Thank everyone. You. And to our audience, you know, follow us on Instagram at Generational Differences. Uh, check us out on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I mean, I guess you would know that because you're listening. Um, but drop us a review, a rating. Uh, <laughs> leave us a comment. Let us know what you think about responsible masculinity or what TV show character you think is a good role model um, for the topic. I uh, would love to hear from you. Thanks, everyone. Thank Bye -bye. you. Bye. Bye.